Today's program was brought to you by Roth Cheese, a pioneer in the U.S. specialty cheese movement. For more information, visit RothCheese.com. Season two of Meet and Three is almost here. We're kicking off with a show all about football. I am excited. So much fun. <laughs> we'll tell you how to master the tailgating scene with help from some Atlanta chefs. The sky's the limit when it comes to tailgating. Yeah, do something that you, you can pull off without stressing yourself too much. Then we'll look at what's good and bad about players' diets, whether they're an NFL star or just made the JV team at their high school. And that's when I was told the first time, well, just take them to McDonald's and feed them feed Big Macs and milkshakes. There's a greater percentage of guys that have a, a, a clear focus on what they're putting in their body. You know, in SEC school, people are fans, but we also have to realize that they're kids. They're 18 to 22, 23-year-olds. Subscribe to Meet and 3 wherever you listen to podcasts and be the first to know when season two drops. Hello, hello, Internet. I'm Kimberly Chow. I am one of the co-directors of Food Book Fair, a festival of writing about eating. I'm also one of the co-hosts of Recommended Reading with Food Book Fair, which is a show where we invite our friends and family all over the world of food and media to talk about what they're reading, watching, and listening to. (laughs) Just try to cough off camera. (laughs) But... Uh, we are very, very happy to be in the studio today with Sarah Forbes Keogh and Ralph McGinnis, the publishers, longtime friends and collaborators, and the geniuses behind Put an Egg on It, a 10-year-old zine printed on green paper about food, art, and many other things. Welcome, guys. Hi. Hi. We're so happy to have you. We've known each other for a long time. Mm-hmm. It's nice to be here. Hi, pal. Hi, pal. Egg pals. You guys are celebrating 10 years of egg. Uh, if folks listening now haven't checked them out yet, you can find them at, at put a egg on it. Note that it's a, not an. Also, put a egg on it.com. Other places where fine magazines are sold. Congratulations on year 10. Um, there's a beautiful new issue with our friend Aura Wise, our mutual friend, uh, a chef and friend or extraordinaire on the cover. Check that out wherever you can find your favorite independent food and cultural magazines. Mm -hmm. So we're here to talk about that. And of course, we're also here to talk about what they're reading, what they're watching, and what they're listening to. Ralph and Sarah, you want to go first with your recommends? You go right ahead, Ralph. (laughs) (laughs) Um, I am reading... I, two days ago, I just bought some magazines. Of course, I read lots of magazines. Ralph, I, by the way, for those of you that can't see into the window in the back <laughs> of Roberta's, where we are recording this episode, has brought all of his books and magazines with him, including some in sleeves to protect them. <laughs> it's true. Really appreciate he, he's that. He's really done his homework. Oh, well, the one I have in a sleeve is a book by Samuel Delaney. And I actually read this book in junior high. And this is a first edition so i bought it but the reason i'm reading samuel delaney all over again is because he's he's having like he's just really creative in his older age Mm. he's become a different kind of writer okay and uh so i'm but i was a big fan of him when i was younger science fiction Mm -hmm. but the interesting thing is i never knew he was black Mm -hmm. ever and now i'm reading his books with a different Mm. I, you know, 
knowing that. Mm -hmm. And it makes sense now that I'm reading this book. I'm like, oh, yeah. There's all these themes in there that are, you know, make sense. Mm -hmm. for. Uh, but uh, this book... Which one is that? It's called Babel. It's called Babel Seventeen, and it has a very similar idea as that movie Arrival. It's mm. about language. In fact, I think whoever wrote that read this. Um, but I'm not saying. I'm just saying. Um, Noted. <laughs> but it has a lot to do with language, and it's in the future, and it's about language. How how learning a language changes your perception. I mean, it's not what it's about, but that's one of the themes, and. Uh, one of the interesting things about it is there's no real white male character. I mean, there's one, but most of the characters are like, it's a very different, all the characters are like a different race. Mm -hmm. Of uh, human or, I know this is science fiction, but I don't know if he dabbles in no, there, outside human, human. No, well, there are aliens, but uh, the humans are all different races or they're, they've had lots of work done. <laughs> like people look like cats and have animal additions, like okay. genetic modification. But the main character is an Asian woman who is a genius and her friend who's an African uh, physician, mm -hmm. doctor. Those are like two of the main characters. And there is a Joe White dude who's like a military man. Mm. He's definitely like an archetype of a repressed uh, <laughs> military man. But he's sympathetic, though. Um, all the characters are sympathetic, so I'm reading that, and that's why it's in a plastic sleeve, because it's a first edition. Hang on to that. Um, yeah, Do you wear white gloves when you read it? Um, I, I get annoying when someone's <laughs> like, can I look at that? And then they're like, and I'm like, hey. <laughs> so yes, then hey. Be careful. Hey. Well, we're very honored that you brought this all the way to Bushwick. <laughs> I bought this On a humid day. On a humid day. <laughs> yeah. In the back of this radio station pizza store. Yeah. To talk about it. So I'm reading that, and I'm reading Babel Seventeen, and I'm reading Luke Sante's "Kill All Your Darlings," which is a collection of essays. And I love I, him. I love Luke Sante. Mm -hmm. I think he's spectacular. Luke I'm, Sante, if you're listening, I, we would love for you to write for us. <laughs> that would be amazing. He just writes about history, and you know, cultural observations in a very direct but entertaining way. Mm -hmm. Like it's very accessible and very clever i mean he's sometimes he'll say something and i'm just like that sentence is crazy like it's just the perfect sentence mm -hmm. um but uh this essay is a lot about new york and changing new york mm -hmm. he lived in uh the village in uptown in the 70s and mm -hmm. early 80s so he actually it's really interesting to read some essays from the early 90s because he's talking about the same things people are talking about now mm -hmm. only like, he, he was observing the things we don't like about gentrification now, okay. but he was already talking about it in 1991. Mm -hmm. and Is this an essay where he talks about being young enough to think that your star has risen, but it hasn't, but you're not able to see it otherwise? Um, I don't... I'm not saying it maybe, quite like Luke Sante well, says it. Maybe haven't gotten to that essay, but I, I read a lot about how he describes life in the East Village and how... He was, you know, you'd be walking around on St. Mark's or somewhere and all this amazing, like, people just throw out things all the time. So every day you would be able to furnish your apartment by walking out and there'd be like stacks of books, antiques, like crate, like things mm -hmm. that are worth fortunes in the future. But, um, and then there was this divide when one day everything was on the sidewalk for free 
And then people started having tables where they were selling the exact same things that like a week before had been free everywhere. Mm -hmm. And then the stores opened. So first it was people, they had their tables and they were selling things. And then the stores started opening. So he starts seeing the, um, the opening of, he's actually describing the 70s uh, when, the, when the stores start opening. Mm-hmm. And then he's, he's talking about like you know, you know, vintage clothing stores versus a thrift right. store versus just finding it on the street in the garbage. Mm-hmm. So he actually is seeing that happen. He's like oh. documenting the A, B, C, D, and he sees everything coming. He's actually writing about what our life is like now but he was writing about it in 1981. He had this essay, it was published in The New Yorker, the one that I'm talking about, in, 19, I think, 1991, maybe? Huh. Yeah. He doesn't, he also, like, disparages some of these essays before, in the, in the intro. He's like... Oh, that's interesting. I know. So he's like, well, this hap- I wrote this at this point, and I feel differently now, or is he... No, just he just thinks like... he's a better writer now. Oh. I hope she... we're always improving. Yeah. And getting more free. That's the idea. Yeah, he's not Evolving. like a, he's not like the stuck-up guy. He's very down-to-earth. And very like working class mm. in his intel. He's intellectual, but he's definitely working class, and that's probably what I find it interesting. The book is "Kill Your da- Kill, Kill All, All Your, your Darlings. Darlings." Can we go back for a second to what you said yeah. earlier about from from his essay? What was that again? Um, I am forgetting the line now, but I remember when I first read it, and I was like in my early twenties. There's a line about living in the Lower East Side or the East Village at a certain age and wandering around and and feeling like your your star was up. Yeah, yeah. Like it was your time. This and being too young and too dumb and too confident yes. to realize yeah, yeah, that everybody right, yeah. else has always thought the same thing yeah. at the same time yes. at that age. Yeah. I was, th- this got me thinking that we had this conversation with Penny Arcade in an issue a couple issues ago that yeah. was a, a similar kind of idea. It was like a little bit that and a little bit also like everyone arrives in New York at a certain point and then you know nothing is ever the same as when they got here mm-hmm. later and so they're everyone's sort of complaining mm-hmm. about that trajectory but then you know there's always like a million other people that got there 10 years before and then 10 years before <laughs> yes. that that have yes. basically the same story yeah yeah so well interesting the main difference is um when he came to new york he was from new jersey i think he's from new jersey so it wasn't he didn't come that far but when he came to new york you literally could have a few dollars in your pocket and you could start making your way. Yeah. So that's a big difference. Mm-hmm. And he talks about that too. So that's one of the differences. It might be the same. People might be saying the same thing, but the people who are broke coming to New York, yeah. who, who are trying to make their way, there's less, there's, they're non-existent. So like people, pretty much everyone. Yeah, that, who, that story that you hear from like Patti Smith and him and ev- kind of everybody who came at that moment, it doesn't really exist. Yeah. You can't come anymore. to New York broke. And, like, become published in the New York. I mean, it just doesn't happen. Sure. I mean, I think, you know, that line that I'm quoting, and I have to reread that essay for context, I think it is about being in New York and being in a certain place in New York and mm-hmm. a certain time, of course, but it's also being of a certain age. Yeah, yes. For sure. Which I think, you know, you all have to be mm-hmm. proud and dumb and smart and brilliant. And overconfident, all uh, at the same time. All at the same time, mm-hmm. between you had to believe sixteen cool. to twenty nine, depending on like what your you had to believe in the whole idea of cool, for sure. Yeah. So w- when you get older, the idea of cool, your idea of cool, you become a little jaded on the idea of cool because it's been so commodified. Um, but when you're younger, yeah, you you you're so in it that you're not questioning it yet. 
So I think Luke Sante is probably someone who who enjoys looking at the past, but doesn't really wear rose-colored glasses. Mm. I think he's pretty accurate. I think he's pretty kind, though, when he describes oh, yeah. that. You he's know, very he's kind. He's not, like, you know, belittling youth. No, I miss that oh, feeling. Oh, no. No, not at all. In fact, everybody... He has a, a, a warmth about... Well, he definitely likes characters. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> of all types. As like, do I. He likes to observe people. Mm-hmm. So... I find that interest. I find that I hate the word interesting. Sorry, <laughs> but it's interesting. So I'm reading that. I love him. I, he's my favorite, actually. But um, beyond what he says, mm-hmm. how he says it is pretty, like, amazing to me. Like, kids should read his books in history class. This yeah. is the kind of person who should be writing history. Oh my god, totally. Mm-hmm. Everyone should read low Not, life. Yeah, class. low. Yeah, like it's so enter- It's entertaining. It's real. It's like. It, it, it's not like the common textbook history with like a timeline where you like uh, say this event and this event. He actually describes the history of New York through the lens of criminality. Mm. And it really t- changes your whole view of, mm. of uh, it also makes sense with Donald Trump as our president because Donald Trump seems like a character mm-hmm. from the history of New York of a uh, uh, you know, boss tweed. Tammany Hall. Tammany yeah, Hall. Totally. Donald Trump, Trump is like those characters. Sketched with a lot of ink blots, like just like drips <laughs> and stuff. Yeah. Yeah. So Luke Sante. What else you got? And Babel. And yeah, you got a big pile over here. We want to yeah, know. And I'm reading The Baffler, which is one of my favorite magazines that I actually read all the way through. And uh, Let me know when you're done with it so I can borrow it. <laughs> I really like it. It's got a socialist bent to it, but I don't. I think that's a little simplistic. I mean, it's mostly essays, um, not as many creative writing pieces, but like observations. They do have some poetry and things like that. Mm. Um, I haven't gotten that far in this issue yet, and I read the cover story, which is by. I want to say her name correctly, Mia Tokumitsu. Did I say that right? Do you think? I don't know. I don't know, Ralph. We'll have to, we'll have to ask I can't her. see that. You're a good pronouncer. You pronounce everyone's name correctly. I always mispronounce everyone's name. Um, I like this uh, essay because it relates to a lot of things I have been thinking about lately, which is the corporate co-option of um, wellness, self-care, mm-hmm. uh, social justice issues. Mm-hmm. And she's a little she she is she is ruthless, mm-hmm. and she's a ruthless writer things she's sympathetic to Mm -hmm. she's ruth she's just she's a really good social critic so she could even be talking about herself i just have some of these i was like laughing out loud last night when i was reading this to some of the things she was saying i don't want to find it right now um (laughs) i'm like i need uh i need bifocals just just buy it and read it we're going to buy it and read it. Why don't you tell us one more thing so we can also oh. get to what Sarah Forbes Keogh Oh, is. sorry. I'm reading the New York Times Education. <laughs> I'm reading the New York Times Education issue, and I read the story about the teacher who was fired at the Quaker School Friends, which is by Stuyvesant Park. Mm. And uh, that ties into the Baffler story, too, because this this teacher was the very last Quaker teacher at the school, which actual Quaker. He's an practicing Quaker. Yeah. He was the very last one. And over the last 20 years, the school used to, you know, give lots of scholarships. It was a community school. Probably most of the people who went to school there were like East village types, Mm -hmm. like arty people sending their kids there. But in the last 20 years, it's gotten to 
where it needs to be competitive for with all the private schools. So it's kind of changed how it does things. And um, this teacher, who is like a weird, awkward guy who everyone loves, made a dumb joke, and he got he made a Hitler joke. Right, he made a Hitler and joke, but he fired. is he right exactly. But it, if you read the story, you're like, He's it's just an awkward. Jewish and Quaker. He was just doing awkward. Mel Brooks style humor, yeah. and he got fired. And the really interesting thing is, there's that word interesting, is that Quakers don't really believe in firing. They have you have to have like a okay. a meeting, and everybody oh, yes. has to discuss their grievances. And so the story is really about how. You know, it's basically all these wealthy people who were like, he needs to be fired. We're paying $50,000 a year. He's got to go. But all of the... <laughs> this is how they they talk. Oh, yes, absolutely. Also, also, These are quotes like, in the story. They're like... Tammany Hall era, like, talkie <laughs> film. Well, they didn't even have talkies during Tammany Hall. No. Sorry. But, yeah. But so... Old white history I'm not familiar so with. So it's like <laughs> all the Quakers in New York, of which there are probably, like, only 500 they were all like outraged that this guy would just there because the whole idea of just firing someone to them is wrong. Mm -hmm. And so they were, plus they all like this guy. I mean, it's a small community. Mm -hmm. So they're like, what, what? And so just the whole idea of the commercialization yeah. of this once interesting school, but it's commercialized, but firing someone for supposedly um, not being culturally sensitive or something but just doing it out of hand without any th thinking about any sense of nuance. So it's just become this like marketing thing. Mm -hmm. It's like, you know, and basically the school's becoming less personal, mm -hmm. more corporate minded. You know, you have all these like rules. Mm -hmm. You can't say this, you can't do that. And so the relationship between a teacher and a student is, has to be some kind of personal, but also distance. But the personal part is being separated more and more and more as it becomes more of a corporate structure. So anyway, that's I'm reading that. That's and depressing. Also, it's a beautifully designed <laughs> issue of the yeah. New York Times oh magazine. God, it's gorgeous. Yeah, I really like it. It and came they, out this past weekend. It's got this beautiful teal cover, um, this beautiful, like, their type use treatment. of type. Um, it's on the out. website, too, on the in the, the magazines. And when you hover over the stories, it, like, gets kind of blurry. And then, Ooh. and then it, and then you see the whole thing. Yeah, they did a really beautiful it's job. It's really that. good. I mean, I don't usually like to laud these big, huge things. I like indie media, but the art direction on the New York Times Magazine is always really good. Very I like also that they put the effort and they have the resources to do it. And I'm glad they use those yeah. to have an online experience. Yeah, me that too. also brings that brings joy and pleasure mm -hmm. and the reader's experience of that. You can read Aesthetic. that story online, yeah. the one I was just... I read the one... Uh, I have to read that story. I read the one about um, a specific school and its principal in Atlanta mm. after No Child Left Behind. Oh, yeah. I haven't doing. read that yet, but that's on my list. It's a, it's a lot. That's yeah. what the whole issue is about. Teachers just want to teach. Yeah. But the classroom has become a battleground, yes. according to the headline. Well, I think it's true. And then that, I'm, that I got true. the new issue of Interview, which excites me because I'll just say this really, really okay. quick. I haven't read yeah, it yet. It's also on Ralph my list. Ralph can see me, see me like... Oh, yeah, I'll just say, look. I like the interview... <laughs> Longest I, intro ever. I love you. <laughs> interview came... Interview I didn't like for a long time because I feel like it lost its way. But just by the cover, it like screamed out in the magazine. Tell stand. us. As Agnes Varda, Varda, Agnes Varda, Varda, who is a filmmaker, and she was on the very first issue 
the cover of the very first issue of an interview in 1970. Can you hold it up toward me? Yes. It was also shot by Collier Shore, who we love. Who we love. I love Collier Shore. Um, but the whole issue is filled with people who are actually interesting and not just, there's that word interesting, and not just famous people. Not just Martha Stewart interviewing Justin Bieber? Yes. Yes, exactly. It's full. Though I did love that interview combination. It, Obviously. It, just flipping through it, it's covering the things that, that I well, would think. I'll take over from here to tell you because <laughs> I actually, I actually read Please it. Please do. Please oh, do. I read, it, I read it at the beach the other day Sorry. and it's, it's very good. Um, it, it is also on my list. Um, the design is good. It's like, uh, it looks like one of the old interview covers too. Yeah. yeah. Like after they stopped like doing the illustration, but it's like a departure from things that are really like tidy. The yeah. type is all over the place in like a cool way. And mm-hmm. I don't know. I enjoyed it and I liked, like the stories. So I'm excited for them to keep going. Um, so there's that. Do you want me to tell you what else I'm reading? Tell us what else you're reading. Yeah. Okay. Or watching or listening to. My apologies for not bringing all the stuff with me, but I made a list. Okay. Um, <laughs> I've actually been reading a lot of things on my phone because I've been traveling a lot. So I, I've downloaded like a library app and I just like mm. check things out of the library on my phone. The real li- library? Like the, yeah, the New York Brooklyn Public, Public Library? library? Yeah. Okay. So I just read The Ministry of Utmost Happiness, which was amazing. Ooh. Um, you must read it. I have not read it yet. Um... Yeah, I mean, it's like her first book in like 10 years or something. Arundhati Roy? Yeah. I just read The God of Small Things. That one's amazing, but I think it came out like 10 or 15 years ago. Yeah, it came out a long time ago. And I loved it at the time, and then I was kind of waiting. (coughs) I knew that she was working on this book um, for some time, and so when it came out, I was like, yes. And so I read it very quickly, and it's very long and amazing and very um, all, what's the word? It's like... um, Immersive. Like I, yeah. I was kind of like, I can't eat dinner or talk to you right now. Like I have to finish this book. I read God of Small Things after another friend was talking about Ministry of Utmost Happiness mm-hmm. and it coming out this summer. And I was staying at a friend's house in LA that had a copy of God of Small Things. And I read it and it just like knocked me to the ground. Yeah, it's the same. And, and there's a ton about cashmere and about that like mm. ongoing long struggle that I didn't know anything about. So I feel like that was a really heavy and amazing way to read about it. And it's through, you know, the stories of these different people. Mm-hmm. So there's that. And then um, I was traveling a lot, and I read every single Walter Mosley, um, Easy Rollins book, which wow. took a while, but wow. I, I was on a lot of long like yeah. um, flights to Singapore and stuff. Um, so that's on my list. And then... Um, what were you doing in Singapore? Uh, Multiple flights. Yeah, I was doing a photo project for a job, like another side thing, a non-put-egg-on-it thing. Uh, mm-hmm. Though, in service of put-egg-on-it, I ate as many breakfasts as humanly possible, and they have a lot of breakfast there, so... I, I ate like five breakfasts a day. We've got to talk about that. <laughs> Dude, I could, I mean, I have many issues with Singapore in general, but the food is so insane that like, I think I would just move there to eat breakfast. Did you see Crazy Rich Asians? I haven't yet, no. They talk a lot about yeah. street food mm-hmm. in the movie. I think that's the best part of the movie when they talk about street food. That was my That's th- not a spoiler. Good, good to know. Um, it's sort of on my list to watch at some point. Um, and then because because of the... David Wanarovich show at the Whitney. Mm. I've, it's like reignited my my long love for him. And I've read, you know, I have like the Waterfront Journals and like Close to the Knives. I have like as many books of his as, as I could possibly have already. Mm-hmm. And then now there's more. That's one of the first things we bonded as friends over. Yeah, was our love mm-hmm. for him. And so yeah. be, because of the show, there's a new catalog and there's a, a, Ooh, and a book of um, taped diaries called The Weight of the World. Ooh. And I've been reading that. And wow. I spent all day yesterday and half of today reading that actually and it's amazing that's amazing it's just like it's like in a period of his life where he wasn't writing much and so it was just like him talking and so he's talking about dates and he's talking about like his experience kind of like getting close to people and freaking out about it it's just like really personal but it's it's beautiful mm. and I'm and then um 
I've been reading California Sunday, which I love. Um, that's a I magazine. I love that magazine. Yeah. If anyone um, doesn't know, it's a magazine in California that covers the West Coast, um, Asia, Whatever. South and Central America, um, yeah. and like Hawaii and uh, places like that. And, um, I mean, it's just, distributed in the news, in newspapers yeah, in California. Yeah, distributed in newspapers yeah. in California. Um, it's amazing. They're, the quality of their content is incredible, and the photos are amazing as well. So I've been reading that a lot. And uh, Ralph and I are actually going to go see them in San Francisco. Oh, amazing. And then go to Pop-Up Magazine, which is their live. I love that experience. Yeah. I went to my first Pop-Up Magazine last year. For, for listeners, I, I feel like we have a lot of listeners that probably also love Pop-Up Magazine. Yeah. But for folks that don't know and are excited to know, it is an event where the stories only exist at the event Mm -hmm. and they're read out loud or they're performed. There's often music, there's dance. Sometimes there are all sorts of different kinds of multimedia visuals. Pretty special. Yeah. It's definitely a cool, like immersive experience and cooking wise. Uh, we got the superiority cookbook and I just made superiority burgers yesterday for the first time. It was kind of fun. Uh, it turned out really well. I thought of you, uh, I did not save you any, sorry, Ralph. Mm. Um, but that was a, that was good. You made the the original yeah, superiority burger. I made burger. the burger and the and the broccoli salad, which are my two favorite. Oh, things those are there. the two fa- the best things yeah. there. Oh so, man. So FYI, the cookbook works pretty well. It was like a bit labor intensive, but it turned out delicious. So I would try it. Um, and then uh, Shitra uh, Argawal was a um, who, who does Brooklyn Deli. She mm-hmm. was uh, in our magazine in this issue. Um, she did a pickle recipe. And so because of that exchange, I um, bought her cookbook, Vibrant, Vibrant India, India, and it's fucking awesome. It is. Can I say that on the- you can say that. You <laughs> okay, can say good. that here. It's Sorry really it. that awesome. It is that awesome. Um, so I've been, I've been kind of making my way through that, and it's quite special. Yeah. That's a beautiful book. Yeah. So I would and recommend delicious. that to everyone who wants to eat some Indian food and just enjoy a nice book. Wow. You guys consume a lot of stuff. Yeah. And you should see my... Uh, oh, I'm also reading Kim Gordon's book right now. I have a, a lot of unread material i love how diverse <laughs> and varied your consumption is of different kinds of media and i feel like from the conversations that we have as collaborators as well as as friends and people that have known each other in the indie food media space for a long time i've been able i, I can see a little bit how it like informs your work as put an egg on it and i'd love to talk about that sure. and 10 years of y'all doing that mm-hmm. after the break we're going to take a little break right now and maybe awesome. eat some pizza and also remind you that Heritage Radio Network is a 501c3 nonprofit. They support us and dozens of other shows like us talking all about the world in and around the world of food. If you can go to heritageradionetwork.org and pledge your support um, and review the show as well as the other others on the network, that would be greatly appreciated. Again, go to heritageradionetwork.org. If you love us, if you love HRN, click on that beating heart and become a member to keep us on the air. We'll be right back. Today's program was brought to you by Roth Cheese, a pioneer in the U.S. specialty cheese movement. Roth is in its 25th year of making specialty cheese in the rolling hills of southern Wisconsin. With strong Swiss heritage, Roth is best known for its award-winning alpine-style cheeses under the name Grand Cru. Fresh Wisconsin milk combined with expertise in affinage is how Roth creates high-quality, great-tasting cheese year after year. 
In 2016, hard work paid off when out of over 2,000 contenders, Roth Grand Cru Sirchois was named world champion at the World Cheese Championship. For more information, visit rothcheese.com. Hello, hello, hello. Hey, we're back. I'm Kimberly Chow. I am one of the co-directors of Food Book Fair, a festival of writing about eating. I'm also one of the co-hosts. Alone today in the booth, Miss you, Amanda Dell, <laughs> of Recommended Reading with Food Book Fair, which is a show on Heritage Radio Network where we talk about what we're watching, reading, and listening to with our other guests in and around the worlds of food and media. I'm joined today by Sarah Forbes Keogh and Ralph McGinnis. Emerson McGinnis. Yeah. Ralph Emerson McGinnis. We're going to do, okay, yeah. the it's full the, name treatment. Yeah. <laughs> What's your middle name? Twin An. Nice. Twin An. Yeah. Oh, I said it right. Oh, yeah. Good job, Ralph. I'm okay. shocked. Backing up, backing up real quick. <laughs> Sarah Forbes Keogh, Ralph Emerson McGinnis. They are the publishers of Put a Egg on It, one of the OG food scenes printed on green paper since 2008. Eight. They're celebrating their 10th year anniversary. They have a big, new, beautiful issue that came out this summer that's twice as big. More stories than ever, more photographs, essays, recipes. We were just talking about all the different things that they read, watch, and listen to, and they consume outside of the world of media as well. And just sort of talking about how it informs in, in their own way, in collaboration and friendship and creative energy, the magazine. How do you distill all of that into what you do together? Well... Tell it. <laughs> Tell it. Well, one of the, my fa- probably one of my top favorite old magazines was Wet, which came out of L.A. in the 70s. And it, it was Wet, the magazine of gourmet bathing. That's <laughs> such a good... <laughs> it's so, amazing. So it was um, a progenitor of New Wave. Mm-hmm. It has that aesthetic that in the 80s, mm-hmm. uh, lots of like... Uh, art deco colors and things like that's the kind of the design is um art deco was definitely like art deco neon yeah. things like that but it was all around so they jumped started off being about everything having to do with swimming or bathing mm-hmm. that's where they jumped off gourmet bathing yes. mm-hmm. so architecture so things uh, anything relating to architecture but that's really simplistic about it wasn't like just about like soap and water so they use that <laughs> they use that as a lens to explore so many things from so many different points mm-hmm. of view and it was just an editorial way it was like a lens you know yeah, it was just, just a, a way of focusing it was a device yeah mm-hmm. and it, it it helped create editorial focus but it just wasn't that simple it was more than that and that's kind of how we came at um, put an egg on it and how we would we would use food in the same way that they used gourmet bathing and um, you know we don't usually even have food writers mm-hmm. um, I'm, everybody eats food so and it's it really for me when I when I read a novel I love parts of novels when there's like a family meal mm-hmm. and it's not really about the food but in the act of everyone sitting around the table, you like learn about all the characters in this yeah, in a dynamic with each, each other. In, yeah, yeah. Like I really like the scene in Wonder Boys by Michael Chabon, uh, where they go to a seder, 
mm-hmm. and it's a really huge chunk of the book which they cut out of the movie completely um, but it all takes a the film adaptation starring Michael Douglas. Yeah. Yes, the very one. I love the movie, but <laughs> no Seder in the movie. Well, there are wa- there are wasps in the movie, but in the they become wasps in the movie. Yeah, and it's I a, didn't it's, see the movie. It's a very it. small piece because in the book it's a huge chunk of the book. It's like a big. I feel like it was like a third of the book. I'm exaggerating, but. Uh, Everything you needed to know about every character was because of their interaction over this meal. And, and it's the same thing in movies. Uh, it's the vehicle you learn about. Um, it's, you learn about the culture of the people. Mm-hmm. You learn about how they communicate with each other. Mm-hmm. Do they talk with their mouth full? Etc. Like, how do yeah. they relate to all each the, other? All the, st- the unspeakable, you know, the stuff that's under the surface comes out in yes. the way people interact over the table. So food, to, that's what food is. That's how I look at food mm-hmm. as being, you know, um, most food magazines, which I have a problem with in any subject, is, is about aspirational living. Yeah. And we're, our magazine is not about aspirational living. It's about life. So um, we use food as a way to get into these other subjects. Mm-hmm. So I don't know if we're always successful, but I try to have lots of people come at this subject. Like um, I really like my friend Greg's essay about uh, coming out to his mother at a Dunkin' Donuts. Mm-hmm. And he talks a lot about how comforting it was to be in this like corporate franchise. And his mother couldn't get angry with him yeah, in, in public this, yeah. in this in, this, in like, like a public chain restaurant type it, yeah place. because if he if he had done it at home mm-hmm. there might have been yelling and screaming mm-hmm. so he talks about that and he talks about how comforting you know the donut the coffee the, the colors the yeah. colors mm-hmm. and uh, um and that's the kind of you know that's the kind of story it's not like it's not about how brilliant the donuts are right <laughs> yeah, or in, there's a, a story in our current issue that I'm totally obsessed with, and it was like yeah. kind of a long time coming. We worked on it a while, and it's a story by my mom, who grew up in you know in the '60s during like a lot, lots of like heavy anti-war protesting, and she was in mm-hmm. Santa Barbara during a lot of like intense stuff and riots. And so I asked her to tell me about how people how they ate, and the whole story turns out to be all about like dodging the draft and like just all this crazy trauma that people endured that like sort of followed them throughout their lives, and it's through the lens of like eating food in a community together and building a community when they're, they're all like 18 and and Mm -hmm. it's a really beautiful story. And it was something that I wanted to get at, but I wanted to look at it through like more like physical, like, like eating and and things that rather than sort of like a bigger story about like movements, you know? Mm -hmm. Well, Mm -hmm. one of the, one of her friends in the story, one of her friends um, gets fat to avoid the draft and one starves himself to avoid the draft both of them and they have live like in the same house they're, they're best friends and both of them have like lifelong sort of complications from that experience. yeah and they, wow. they live in the same house that's incredible so one is like eating meat and butter first off they were hippies so they didn't uh-huh. eat like that anyway but suddenly he was drinking like lots of cheap beer butter and the other guys like drinking tea and they're like in the same room and having meals together yeah <laughs> and yeah that's what you know that's what food is about, you know. It's about all of that, and mm-hmm. we try, we're striving for that rather than aspirational. Women. But that's how we bring all our interests in. Yeah, um, I know. mean, I think in the time we've been in community with each other and and collaborating and talking about all of the other independent food magazines that have come, some of them have gone as well. This idea of talking about food or using food to talk about other stuff yeah. seems to be a greater and greater. Uh, 
part of what a food magazine actually is, or quote-unquote food, quote-unquote yeah. magazine. Yeah, yeah, it's popping up in the bigger magazines. They are reading us. <laughs> yeah, I, I love it. I think it's great. There's somebody, there's somebody at Condé Nast who's, they, there's an intern they send out <laughs> to go buy all the indie food magazines. I'm sure. Absolutely. I think that's a fact. Um, <laughs> what was, oh, and another sort of like different direction for us is that now that we have bigger mm-hmm. issues, because this one's like double our usual size, mm-hmm. we've been able to do other things that aren't, that are kind like of like what? outside of our realm, like, like work with a food stylist and do a really stylized shoot, which we have always stayed away from because we were concentrating on what the stuff we we're just talking about. But yeah. with this issue, we're like, all right, well, we have some space. Like, let's see if we can take our lens or like our sensibility or our sort of idiosyncratic style. Well, we're actually critiquing. Right. Uh, food style is, and uh, we're, we're, we're doing it. It's, it's, it's definitely ironic. So we're doing it fully, but we're also making fun of it. But, tell, but, tell us about the story. Yeah, you so, so, so it's a it's a a nineteenth century dinner party mm-hmm. where the hostess hates all her guests and has burned all this amazing food. Mm. And it's accurate. It's uh, all the recipes are accurate to the early nineteen hundreds. Yeah, so we're recreating this woman's revenge meal. Yeah. basically. Mm-hmm. we created a re- revenge meal, and then we actually um, tell the tell the story so it's like it's it's a it's fiction i don't like to say it's fiction because when you read the magazine you're like wait is this did this really happen i wasn't actually gonna say that it was i know now i said it nice going mcginnis <laughs> but it's written like uh by jess arndt who i love she's one of my favorite writers and by her book also it's amazing yes Jess is great yeah oh you know her yeah yeah well, we sort of i mean i know she she probably doesn't know me oh but I admire her via Diner Journal. Yeah. yeah, yeah, she writes for Diner Journal. What's her book called? Something Animals? I'm going to look it Tiny up. Tiny Animals? We're going to look it up. Okay. But uh, I believe I saw Jess read first at a party with Diner Journal and put an egg on it. Oh, mm-hmm. yeah. That was fun. At oh. Achilles Heel. Mm-hmm. She is, a, a, she's a, just a superb oh, Large writer. animals. Large animals. Large animals. The opposite of what I said. She's just a superb writer. That's just all there is to it. And, she, and so anyway, the story is very well researched and it's accurate to the time. And um, it is kind of the, it, it, the photographs are beautiful of this burned recipes. Um, but it's still kind of the opposite of aspirational because uh, this hostess who is this high quality society woman is saying, fuck you. And she's destroying all this beautiful food. And, I, and, and, and that's amusing to me. <laughs> what are some of the recipes in that story? Oh, I didn't bring the. <laughs> uh, we I, I didn't bring one. a copy of our magazine, so I'm like, wow, which one? Um, quail. Mm. Uh, um, Sarah. Uh. <laughs> We're like drawing a blank. Sorry, putting you on the spot about I your know, own we, content. <laughs> it's we we shipped the magazine like so long ago. Um, there's a, there's oysters and um, steak and smashed yeah. potatoes and a whole fish. I mean it's it, it's a seven course yeah insane. It's a big. Did you feed it to anyone? Well, we ate we oh we made this clover flavored cake, orange cake. Oh, and oh. it was burned on the outside. It was but a cl- orange clove cake. It yeah. was amazing. Um, it was burned on the outside, but the inside was fine. So we all I actually did all it. the food. So yeah, oh. so I cooked and uh, with who styled. 
Um, what's her name? Brianna. Bri- Brianna Balducci. She's amazing. Okay, cool. Um, yeah. And our friend Ricardo Roa photographed it, and they were an incredible team. They were amazing. And yeah. I, I cooked with um, Stephanie Jarmilo, who works with us sometimes, and mm-hmm. basically we made everything, and everything was delicious, and then we burned the shit out of it. Yeah. We destroyed it. And so we, we, we kept our little snacks for ourselves. <laughs> so, you know, that's, that, that's, uh, there, there are parts to the magazine, like, we have, like, the editorial voice is of the, the whole magazine. The editorial voice is very irreverent, funny, and doesn't take itself too seriously. And then we let the writers and the, uh, you know, have their own voice um, without too many constraints. And then we also have an aspect to the magazine that's about history. Mm-hmm. Um, in, the, in the current issue, we have a spread of Black Panther, the, back, the Black Panther Breakfast Program in 1968 in Oakland, California. Um, so we have like art, yeah. art, history. Photographs so. from that program. Yes, from 1968 by the photographer Prickle Jones and his wife. I feel bad for forgetting her name. Ruth Marion uh, Baruch, I believe, yeah. and his name is Prickle Jones. Prickle Jones. He Perfect. was more. He was more famous, and she also photographed with him sometimes. Um, they mostly photographed uh, workers and labor type issues, mm-hmm. and they photographed the Black Panthers because they were getting lots of bad press. And, you know, people were calling them terrorists, but they were doing things like feeding children. Yeah. So uh, among other many amazing things, um, yeah, they were great. They we went through amazing. their their archives at UC Santa wow. Cruz and and came up with this piece, and it's amazing. I was really honored to be involved. Yeah. Mm. So we always try to try to take ourselves not too seriously, but also have real cultural documentarian stuff. Trying to like mix it up and create like a, um, and that's why I like having more pages because you create like Do a, more stuff. Yeah, yeah you can tr- you can try the, more. The balance of it and like there's yeah. a lot more you can add. add. Yeah. Yeah. So I like doing the, uh, the, 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 like, that story's called Burned. Okay. You know, and I, I already have my next plan So for the next issue. Um, more humorous, kind of like. Do you have time for one more thing about it? or? Yeah, we got some time. Sweet. Tell us more. Um, I was just going to mention that um, my personal favorite thing that we've sort of evolved over the past, maybe like four or five issues now, is the is the dinner conversation. Mm, yeah. mm-hmm. So we... Can you tell our listeners about that? Sure. So I we, know there's like a mix of numbers of people. Well, <laughs> the the deal is, is basically we, we don't really do interviews, but we were trying to think, okay, how can we have people talk about what they're doing or uh, ideas and not do it in a regular interview style way? So we were like, all right, we'll just have them over for dinner and we'll have them talk to each other. So we'll mix up artists and the idea was to choose people who are at different stages of their careers and who work in different kinds of media. Mm-hmm. So somebody who's like you know, older, like in their 80s maybe, who's been around a long time, somebody who's like a mid-career artist and somebody who's like, you know, young, just starting maybe in school. Yeah. And then so we get those people together, somebody feeds them, and one of us or both of us hang out, and we just kind of like lightly moderate the conversation just to kind of keep it going, but just like... Mm-hmm. They don't really need our help yeah. most of the time. It's really great to to hear... Um, that's very important to me to like have... I, I, I When I'm looking for contributors, I always think to myself... Who is not like me, and and there's it's not a political thing. It's more like I think that's just interesting. Mm-hmm. I hate that word. Like I want to hear from someone else. Yeah, I yeah. Hear and what I was going to say about this dinner conversation is that every time yeah. we do one, I'm I come away from the night being like I can't believe I just had this amazing experience. Like it feels like mm-hmm. yeah. so special and so I've learned so much. And then you know we transcribe it and we put and these I three very different people have different lives. They go in different circles. And they're having like food together, and it really does. 
eating, you know, lots of people say this, you're eating with someone, it really just opens things up. Yeah, it gets really deep. People have conversations about like their family, about crazy things that have happened to them. And then also just about process, like about like, this is how I'm doing this work. And then somebody from a different, you know, who works in a different media might have something to say about it. It just like really builds Mm -hmm. in in a special way. So I feel like that's one of the best things that we've come up with. Who are the folks in this feature, in this issue? Uh, Sarah Schulman, uh, Ezekwe Muhammad, and uh, Erwin, is Erwin's last name? <laughs> He's like one of my best friends right now, but I don't know how to pronounce his last name. Oh God, we're such jerks. Um, <laughs> he, <laughs> he is a creative director at Sony, um, at their record label, and uh, Ezekwe does um, a lot of photo-based and sort of performance-based, mm-hmm. installation-based work, and uh, Sarah Schulman is a writer and an activist, and it was a, it was a really fantastic conversation. Every single conversation in every issue has been like, whoa. Also, Erwin cooked <laughs> and the food was crazy. Oh, I was going to ask, how do you yeah, decide who to put together? And then how do you decide what's on the menu? Um, I consider it like just like editing the magazine. Like it, we, we try to get one guest first and mm-hmm. based on their age and career, mm-hmm. then I think about the, each other guest as something a little more opposing what they're mm. doing so like if we have someone so i generally wouldn't want two 80 year olds in the same know? yeah because you know that's not going to be the same dynamic so yeah like she was saying age groups like uh, that's probably the main thing is the age groups but i also don't want it to be like all white dudes or all women yeah. or all i wanted i want mm-hmm. to mix it up to mix it up be- and then the food um, it depends on uh, you. Often I cook, and so I base it on where I am. Like we've done them in different cities, and mm-hmm. so I'll just go to the farmers market, or I'll, you know, I'll, I'll, yeah. depending on the season. So it, it, it's fairly simple. I don't. It's just family style. I like to keep it. You know, people tell me their dietary restrictions too, so I base it off that. But the food is just um, is designed to kind of be um, like a little bit of a weigh in, but not so crazy that mm-hmm. you have to talk about it too much. Yeah. But the food has been good. So Irwin is the food is the what. Helps you access everything else. Yeah, yeah, they start talking about the food. It's the, mm-hmm. sort of the like entry the first... point, but I don't want it to be so kind of complicated that you st- get stuck there. Yeah, they don't want it. Yeah, it's not like this is amazing and they're going to analyze it. Um, but Irwin is of Filipino descent, so he made his version of some, like he changed the recipes. They're not like authentic, mm-hmm. authentic. He, he, he actually changed the recipes for a guest who couldn't eat certain things. So he's, okay. he spent a month... Yeah, he Whoa. much more than I would have do. He he really <laughs> tested things out. He like tried different ver- like different spices, yeah. different amounts of salt to try like to appease uh, the guest, and it came out pretty good. That was, sounds delicious. Yeah, yeah, it was it was amazing. I left some in the fridge for Jen. And the next day, she was like, "Oh my god, what is this?" Yum. Yeah. What also, was it? It was um like a like black rice with yeah. a, um I forget the beef. Yeah, but it was a dish that's normally pork yeah or it was um it was like beef and oh, it was supposed to be beef and onions but i think it was like venison or something whoa was it venison i can't remember it was good there were no onions in it because of uh, someone had couldn't. an allergy yeah that's rough yeah <laughs> no onions. different kinds of aromatics well yeah. he also made Irwin like a that. like a um like a uh charred eggplant egg thing that was really Yum. really good he likes to cook. He's a good cook and a good conversationalist. That sounds good. Um, yeah. I will aspire one day to get invited to one of these. Oh my God, we'd love to have you. That'd be fun. Yeah. That'd be fun. Well, I think we need to take off in a little bit, but can you tell us what's coming up next for y'all? Hmm. 
Sure. For put an egg on it. And again, folks, you can find them anywhere, everywhere. Although. At, at put a egg on it. Although one of the biggest distributors for small, small magazines folded. So we're not in every store we're normally in. So people yeah. need to ask their ask their we favorite are, shops. We're taking care. it back. We're distributing ourselves now. So okay. if you can't find us, let us know. Yeah. And uh, you can also buy direct yeah. at yes, putaegonit.com. Yes, we're, we're in the midst of restructuring. Yeah. Um, we also we're working on the next issue. Um, a chunk of it is going to take place in Lagos in Nigeria, and we will probably be there towards the end of the year. Amazing. So we're working with a, a friend there who's going to be kind of a guest editor on mm-hmm. part of it. So that's still per, like in the works. So I'm not entirely sure how that's going to roll out, but that's happening. And we're doing we're going to be. We're gonna be traveling a little bit, so we'll be here and there, and we're gathering recipes, and we'll have a. I think it's hard have, to talk about stuff you're doing. We're gonna have an art show like later, but, but it's not totally planned. So you know, we've got stuff. So pay attention. We're gonna pay attention again. You can find Ralph and Sarah at put a egg on it. <laughs> Say that three times fast. Put egg put, on it. Put egg on it. Dot com, and ask your favorite independent bookshop, magazine store, newsstand to carry them, or you can buy from them direct. Indeed. Thank you so much for coming on. Thank we you for having being us, in community with you great and talking you. all things magazine. Always, always great to see you. Oh. Thanks for sharing what you've been reading, watching, and listening to. Thank you. We'll be back next Tuesday uh, for more recommends. Talk to you soon. Cool. Bye. Bye. Thanks for listening to Heritage Radio Network, food radio supported by you. For our freshest content and to hear about exclusive events, subscribe to our newsletter. Enter your email at the bottom of our website, heritageradionetwork.org. Connect with us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at heritage underscore radio. Heritage Radio Network is a nonprofit organization driving conversations to make the world a better, fairer, more delicious place. And we couldn't do it without support from listeners like you. Want to be a part of the food world's most innovative community? Rate the shows you like, tell your friends, and please join our community by becoming a member. Just click on the beating heart at the top right of our homepage. Thanks for listening. Recommended reading is powered by Simplecast. Simplecast is a popular hosting and analytics platform that allows podcasters to easily host and publish to apps like Apple Podcasts. If you have a podcast or are looking to create your very first, check it out. Try it for free and save half off your first three months at simplecast.com forward slash heritage.